0: This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Um, we're going to be talking about kings, uh, kings, kings of this world, and really just two particular ones, but these two particular ones uh, really represent all other kings, all other kings. And so this morning, as um, I'd like to, uh, for you to stand in honor of God's word, and I'll attempt to read this And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For you sh- for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, uh, they went away, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, took the child and the mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by by the Prophet, out of Egypt, I call my son. then Herod, uh, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men, verse seventeen. Uh, then was, fu- then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there were no more. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead." And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archiles was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. God bless uh, the reading of your word. May we be encouraged this morning uh, by your Holy Spirit as we work through this passage. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, uh, I want us to ask the question, Who is this King Herod? Not a historical, uh, this isn't going to be a deep historical, what battles he won, what area he ruled over, but I want us to just look at the scripture, what it says about Herod, what it says about this king, Herod, a ruler, a man who was in charge. You think what makes a good king, you ask the question in your mind, what kind of king do I want to have? And really, what king will I submit to Uh, in our day today and really in your heart right now? There's a question of which king you will follow, which king you will bow down to, which king you will worship and the king that you will listen to. that's really what we're going to tackle this morning as we look at God's word. We hear that this king, Herod, was the king that was ruling in the area where Jesus was born, that he was in charge. And it says in verse uh, 2, it says in verse 2, that as, um, actually back up to verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? King of the Jews. Do you like how it says that? And you can imagine if you were king, if you were king, and there were men coming who had traveled a long way, and you were sitting on your throne, you were sitting in your palace, you were sitting in the, the luxury and arrogance of the place of the king. And someone shows up on your doorstep in your city, and they start asking around, where, where's the king? Where is where is he? Where is he? They go to the palace and they say, where, where's the new king? There is no new king, it's me. No, 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 There is. There is a new king. You can imagine how offensive that would be. You can imagine how this King Herod would have responded. You can imagine how you would have responded. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were in charge. And someone calls and uh, says, I need to speak to the one in charge. You're speaking to him. No, there must be somebody else. No one would put you in charge. Happened to me many times. Recently. You have to ask the question, what bothered the king so much? Why was this question of where, where is the new king? Why, why would it bother him so much? the fact that somebody else was being called a king, it threatened his authority. Kings were always uh, rising up and falling down. There There were rulers and battles that were constantly going on. And so a king was always threatened by the next king. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? Sometimes at your job, there's a threat when somebody new gets hired. You wonder if they're going to be better than you and one day will be your boss or take your job if there's cutbacks. There's a sense of threat that comes to each new person that is added. As you picture Herod sitting on this throne in his palace and his prideful arrogance and elegance, you wonder what's going through his mind. This group of travelers that he doesn't know from anybody show up and they they show and you can tell that they're from a distant land and they say, where's the new king? Where's the new king? This insecure king of Herod, he was offended. And as he thought about it, uh, he gave the classic response of self-preservation. Of saying, how can I protect myself as king? I think about how he responded as many kings would. And really, it's interesting to me that not just he responded this way. If you look down uh, once again, in verse 3, he says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And all Jerusalem with him. You can imagine for them, to hear that there's a new king, there's always a sense of, well, will they really be king? Will they be a better king? Will there be a sense of me being split and torn and being a pawn in this king's uh, fight for supremacy? Herod was an insecure king. He was fearing who this new king was. And you can say in his mind, Hey, wait a minute. I'm the king. I'm the one. And in his own insecurity, we'll see his own plan play out. This is Herod's response to this new king. His insecurities come out. I want to ask you, do you want to follow after an insecure king? I don't. A second point this morning is that Herod was a conniving king. He looked down at verse 7. He goes into his plan of action. He identifies and he hears from the chief priests and the others who, who describe that this event is probably happening. They've seen the star, they know the prophecy, they, this is the way it's supposed to play out. And so how he responds, in verse 7 it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Secretly, I think that's interesting. When you're a king, uh, when you're plotting and planning, you don't do that out in the public. You, you do it secretly. You pull your people in and you say, okay, so, so tell me, really, what should we be doing here? and as he was his insecurities forced him to action he pulled these advisors in and he he plotted and he planned secretly though and not just um an act of secrecy but he he considered the star and when it appeared and and he sent to these them to the bethlehem but he said to, to them, he says, go and search diligently for the child. Truth. That's what he wanted them to do, right? He wanted them to go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, they wanted to, he wanted to find him, right? Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Liar. Liar. A lying king. You know, he he goes from, I I want you to see this here. His plots and plans were not that of a king that was being up front and responsible and, and being a great leader. His insecurities led him to being this plotting and planning king who was just out for his own best interest. And he not just that he would plot to those ends, but that he would lie to get there. This was the great Herod, right? The Herod the king, the the one everyone looked to and feared. He was a conniving king. Secretly he gathered these people. He lied, he plotted, and he said that he would go and worship, that he would go and worship. We skip down to verse 13. He goes from being an insecure king to a conniving king to a killing king. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Most of us know this story. We've thought about it many times. That Jesus was born. That, that was the great event. That sets it up. In the time of Herod, Jesus was born. This is what happened. And you think about what that would have been like, the significance of Jesus being born in your area of being the ruler, what you could have done and how you could have responded. But there's this whole picture going on. Jesus is born. He's born with these significant prophecies and the star surrounding him. These wise men come from far away, uh, really being drawn by sovereign GPS, if you will, being drawn there by God's own doing, that they would signal that this Jesus is to be worshipped and really be those first worshipers. That it might be recorded for all of us that all this prophecy would come together. And, and to see that happen... And to see what had gone on in this passage for Herod to fail to respond but go so far as to become the killing king. In verse 13 it says this, Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and remain there until... For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and the mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the prophecy the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I will call my son. Then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, the wise men went home a different way, right? He became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? We don't, we don't know how many children this was, but what if it was just Tehachapi, this area? That someone with great hatred and fear of the, uh, another king would take all the two-year-old and under boys and kill them. What's Herod's problem? Is he the kind of king you want to follow? A king that's so insecure that he goes from his own insecurity to this lying, plotting plan. To carrying it out and to killing young baby boys, baby boys. Hard to imagine, isn't it? And this was the king. We skip down to verse 19. And really, I I gotta say it this way, backing up just a touch. The killing was indiscriminate killing. Did you get that? It's the, the, the spraying of machine gun fire, just saying, let's just wipe them all out. It doesn't matter. I, I know I'm in danger, so it doesn't matter. Whoever's kids in it, we'll just wipe them out. That's where Herod had gotten to. We skip down uh, to tell you the next point of who Herod was. He's the dead king. That's what he is, right? Verse nineteen, but when Herod died, he died. when Herod died, it sets into the of course these next things. behold an angel of the Lord appeared to in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, "Rise, take this child, his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead are dead um This king that was so feared. This king that was so important. This king that was plotting and planning and preserving his kingdom. This king that really people had called the great. This king is now dead. There's a regime change by God's own design. That there's a, a, a rising up and allowing this man to rule. And yet, by God's own design, no one comes in but he dies and no longer has any significance to our story. None. Sometimes we're impressed with kings and rulers and fame and fortune and power. But it all comes and goes, doesn't it? From the greatest to the smallest. That there's a sense of finality in death. And this great king died Changes the whole story in the sense of where Jesus is threatened by him. Right, the threat's not very significant after he dies. This king is dead. The reign is over. He is now significant. There's been a regime change. I, I, I have one more point, and um, if you look, if you look down just a ways. In verse 22, it says that Herod's son takes over for him, his son. And the nut doesn't fall far from the tree, right? There's a sense of connection there. And maybe there was a sense of transition and wondering who was going to take over. But uh, it's that he's no longer fearing. uh, Jesus' family is no longer fearing for his life from this Herod, but the next one, right? And there's a sense, and and I love this picture because this is the way kings are, right? We always look to the next king and, and the next ruler and we think, well, they'll be different or they'll be better or there'll be something else that I can worship and follow. And a lot of times this happens, right? The problems with the prior king... Are the problems of the present king. And now they're following just one right after the other. Do you want a king like that? Do you want a king that's just like his father? You get this picture here that this is just the way it is. My last point this morning is this, that there is only one king, his name is Jesus, and he has secret service. <laughs> Do you get that? Throughout this passage, there's this trail, right? Of prophecy and angelic uh, knowledge of what's going on and warning. That these kings were convinced that they were in charge and, and that they were going to uh, squash any type of threat that came to them. But there's only one king and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And I I think about that. I think about how we are today. Constantly uh, looking for another king, constantly looking for someone else to tell us what to do and to tell us we're okay. But there's only one king and his name is Jesus. I think about what we learn about Jesus being king and I'll, I'll just breeze through these this morning. But this morning... As we've looked at this passage, the real king threatens all posers. Posers is one of my favorite words. Grew up in Santa Barbara and, you know, there were surfers and then there were posers. There were people who thought it looked like it and kind of acted like that, would talk like that. But they were just posers. They were posing as something. And every king that asserts their authority and says, I am over all, he's just a poser. And every time, every time Jesus is placed next next to one of those kings, all poser kings are threatened. I, I think that's important for us to remember when you are sorting out the old life. You may have come to know Christ and and you you understood that he's the only king, those other kings in your lives aren't going to go down easy. I want to tell you that. Whether it was money, whether it was alcohol, whether it was some fame or fortune or family or whatever it was, those other people that were in charge of you prior to you coming into Christ will not go down easy because they're all threatened by the real king. Secondly, the real king brings immediate and spontaneous worship. I love that picture, and, you know, I preached on it last Christmas. I guess I could have done it again. You, you weren't there. Except for my wife. I think it's interesting, as uh, a wise man came... It says that they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. They, They they found him. They were looking. They were looking. We found him. Bam. We're down. Worshiped him. Why? He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. Herod wasn't. Herod will never be. The next Herod. The next Herod after that wouldn't be. But Jesus is worthy of worship. The third thing that's different is the real king, the real king has perfect secret service. Perfect. Look at this passage and and you say, well, boy, that sounds real dangerous, doesn't it? Husband and a wife and a baby. How could they stand up to a king? Oh, they didn't have to. Because they had secret service. They had protection all the time. And Jesus died, didn't he? He eventually died, right? He died on a cross. And you say, well, that had to have been different. No, read it. Ask the question. Did he die or did he give himself up? Gave himself up. And so there's this plan throughout the New Testament, really throughout the whole Bible, of Jesus being worked out as king and being where he wanted to be and being a part of it and this plan being unfolded before us, all according to a timetable that we don't understand or can see. But it's not according to the events of this world, kings, rulers, and authorities of this world. Jesus' secret service, his plan prevails. Here we go. Look at verse 10. The real king brings joy. The real king brings joy. I love this. I love this. Verse 10, what does it say? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, joyfully. You get that? Joy, joy, joy. (laughs) You get that? Exceedingly with great joy. Like a lot of joy, a lot lot of a lot of joy. Love it, love it. Why? Why were they so excited? Because it's Jesus, it's the real king. It's what he does. You know what? Uh, Kings always disappoint, except for this one. Except for this one. Exceedingly with great joy. I want to tell you this morning that um, Jesus is a different king. And if you don't know him... Um, you're following some lame king like Herod or whoever else. And I don't say that to be unkind. I say that to be um, warning you that there's better stuff out there, and you, you need to find Jesus. Please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about the Jesus that is found in the Bible, that was born and uh, he he, he was raised up, and he lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death, and then he rose again that we might have life. This is what it's all about. This is what Christmas is all about. For us to celebrate this, this isn't something that we do because we like red and green. We do like red and green, obviously. (laughs) But we do this because Jesus is a worthy king to follow. Father God, thank you for the opportunity of being before your Word, of seeing a clear picture of a part of the birth of Jesus and the uh, first few years of how uh, a particular king thought he was king and only Jesus is king. God, I pray that we would acknowledge that in our lives, that we would love to worship him. God, I ask that you would... um, Honor yourself in this church as we acknowledge Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.